This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Good show coming up today. I'll talk to Drew McGarry from Defector Media here in just a little bit. Drew does the very popular series on um, on every single NFL team. Got to the Vikings last week, and I talked to him about that. He's a Vikings fan, his expectations, what he was optimistic about. Drew's not just pessimistic, he's optimistic too, uh, but also what concerns him about this year's team. Great conversation with him. I'll have that in just a little bit. I have a nugget about an NBA player suing his agent uh, for bad contract advice, and we'll talk twins here in a minute too. Maybe little uh, little dose of reality for them out east. But first, what did I miss? An ode to Sylvia Fowles. Lynx center, 35 years old, um, had an amazing game, an unprecedented game. Sometimes we throw around the word, you know, unique or, you know, never been, you know, we say, ah, that's never been done before. Well, she legitimately had a game against Seattle that has never been done in WNBA history. Kent Youngblood writing about this game in uh, in the Star Tribune, startribune.com. Lynx beat Seattle, by the way, 76-70. to that's more than an oh, by the way, because that was the first time they've beaten them in 11 tries. Seattle, one of the best teams in the league. And fouls was a huge reason, like the number 1A, number 1B, number 1C reason. She had 29 points, uh, 20 rebounds. She just just went off. I believe she had four blocks, three steals. Uh, first time in WNBA history that someone has ever had a game with 20 points 20 rebounds, three steals, and three blocks. Just, you know, unbelievable, unbelievable game. I had that back backwards, by the way. Four steals, three blocks. Either way, amazing for fouls. No, no fouls for fouls. No turnovers in the game. Um, had a key block down the stretch to to help the the Lynx seal that win. And you know, the, I guess the bigger point is I don't know how much if we appreciate her enough and that was the point that Cheryl Reeve was trying to make after the game as well I'm going to play a clip of her in just a moment here kind of talking about her place in the league maybe we can talk about her place in the marketplace whenever we talk about the greatest players who are actively playing in in Minnesota sports right now I feel like we gloss over Sylvia Fowles for whatever reason it is maybe it's because she's getting older we tend to be fascinated more with the, the younger players the new talent we know what fouls can do to a certain degree, but she just keeps doing it. Maybe we're expecting her to fall off at a certain point because she is an older player. You know, we, again, we don't have those expectations sometimes as players get older. Um, you know, the same kind of disrespect is maybe happening to LeBron James right now, not getting any votes as the best player in the league when clearly he he probably still is when he's healthy. I mean, just let's be honest. So here's Reeve anyway, kind of talking about how you know, the WNBA maybe doesn't even respect what Fowles has done. It doesn't market her in the way that it should. I think I think who misses out is is fans. I think our league has grossly uh, underserved Sylvia Fowles' career. You know, we hear about so many other players, and I'm sure ESPN went into this game wanting to love up on, you know, all the stars from Seattle. Sylvia Fowles is the most underserved player in the league. You never see the league uh, pushing pushing uh, Sylvia Fowles. When's the last time Sylvia Fowles got a player of the week? You know, one, of the, one of the best player. I, I told you, you know, so one of the best players ever. Uh, certainly at the center spot. I mean, so I just don't think there's there's anybody close in terms of what she does for her team. 
you know, for Fowl's part, I mean, she came here in 2015, really keyed kind of the back half of that Lynx dynasty with, you know, when they got two more championships while she was here. You know, she's been an MVP. She's done, you know, tons of great stuff in the playoffs. But she was asked, I believe by Kent, uh, Kent Youngblood, like, where does this game kind of rank in, in how does she kind of soak up this memory and kind of put it into context? I thought her answer was interesting, and so I'm going to show, share that with you now as well. Um, I don't know just yet, um, but I do know that um, I will start giving myself more credit. Um, I, I'm the type of player who don't really try to think about it because I think this is my job and these are things that I'm supposed to be doing. But at the end of the day, these things are not easy. And so just enjoying the ride and um, making sure I understand the work that I put in and making sure I know that uh, this is not easy. But I, I got some time to let it sink in tonight. So I'll give you a question later. I'll give you an answer later in a week. <laughs> I do hope she got to enjoy this one. And I do hope that we recognize her place. She's a goat. She's one of the greatest of all time. She, she just is. Um, whether you're saying that's in the WNBA, whether you're saying that's in Minnesota sports, Either one of those is true. She is a dominant, great player. Um, you know, maybe doesn't play the style that is played as much today because she's more of a traditional kind of back to the basket, you know, tall center who you know does those tall center things. But you know what? Those tall center things are still very valuable, and Sylvia Fowles does them as well as anyone. Not the greatest of all time, on the other hand. The Twins. Um, I had Phil Miller on, I think, last week. We talked about how they were on a little bit of a roll. They'd beaten some good teams lately. I think they had an 8-3 and three stretch where they were winning a lot of series. And Phil, I was like, Phil, is this a reason for optimism? Should we kind of get excited about, you know, not that they're going to have this magical run and go, you know, try to get in the wild card race or something ridiculous like that. But, you know, should, should this give you optimism going into next year? And he was like, yeah, you know, it's nice that they're playing better, but, um, you know, every season is going to have a stretch like this because the, the season is so long. You're going to get some breaks along the way. You're going to win some games. Don't get too excited. Uh, Phil was right. Twins have now lost four in a row to the Yankees and now the Red Sox 11-9 to on uh, on Tuesday night. Twins rallied. And I turned the game on. It was I, I looked at the score. It was 3-1 Twins. I was like, okay. I caught up to it a little while later. They were down 4-3. to three. By the time that inning was over and Griffin Jacks was done, it was 9-3. to three. And then uh, I, I turned it off. I didn't see much of the rally. Um, you know, so I guess, you know, good, good moral victory. Put that one in the moral victory standings. But still, another loss for the Twins on this road trip. And yeah, you know, everything that's gone wrong has been exposed. You had Jorge Polanco at short, by the way. Um, Nick Gordon at second base. I don't know what the Andrelton Simmons experiment uh, experience is over. Love to see Jose Miranda up here sooner rather than later. So hope they can figure out how to get all those guys on the field because in a lost season, the only real thing I care about now is what about 2022 and who can help. Um, unfortunately, Griffin Jacks didn't uh, didn't fit that bill. Got rocked pretty good in that game on the mound. But, you know, we'll see. Let's see who can help over these last five, six weeks. I know rosters don't expand to the same degree. I know the Saints season goes as long as the MLB season does. But I want to see what some of these guys can do against Major League competition. And now is the time to find out. I'm Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer at the Star Tribune and the first five-time guest in daily delivery history. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast, our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, 
and even all of Rand's future blog posts about how the Timberwolves should trade for players they will never get, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really happy to have back on the podcast. He was one of the first daily delivery guests and saving him up for a special occasion again, Drew McGarry, um, formerly Deadspin, still a lot of other places, most prominently now Defector Media, where he has continued to do his uh, very popular series on a season preview for every single NFL team, got to his Vikings, your Vikings, uh, last week pointed out um, some things that might not be great about this year's team, some things that maybe we could be optimistic about, and I think we're going to get to both of those on today's show. Drew, how you doing, man? <laughs> I don't recall saying anything nice about the Vikings. Last you said Irv yeah. Smith would be a top five tight end. I did. I love Irv Smith. Love him. Fantastic play. <laughs> so as kind of a countermeasure, so after that came out, I texted you and I said, hey, come on the podcast again, please. You said, yes, appreciate that. <laughs> um, but you, you know, we kind of had him back and forth where you were like, I don't want to be pessimistic. I, I, at this point in the season, you want to have a certain amount of optimism about this year's team, because it's no fun to go into a year. If you're just going to be, you know, just if you don't want to dread a football season, even if you have, even if there's practical reasons to be skeptical. So let's start with what, what might work this year. And I, I for me, like the number one thing is the defense could be pretty good. What yeah, think? I think the defense could be very good. That means that if the offense is as good as it was last year, and really, even though the preseason has been awful, there's not much reason to believe that it won't. You know, if it's if it's any worse than it was last year, I don't think it would be significantly worse. But then you would have – it was the number four offense overall in football last year. And if you combine that with a defense that has the talent, on paper at least, to be in the top half uh, of, of the league – then it's a playoff team, right? But there are Vikings elements to it that, uh, you know, counteract a lot of all that. Also, the other thing is that when it comes to pessimism with the Vikings, I'm very selfish about it. When I, like, when my friends who are Vikings fans call Kirk, like, Kurt, and they're like, oh, well, we suck, and we're going to go 6-10, and ten, I get pissed internally, and I have no good explanation for that at all. <laughs> so it's, it's your own, you and you alone get to uh, get to have this. Uh, right. I want to hog it all to myself. And really, even then, because it's I'd rather spend I don't like spending games being like they're going to blow it. They're going to blow it. They're going to blow it because then I'm not really enjoying myself. I may as well just spend most of my time believing they can win because then at least five sixths of the game is pleasant to me before it all falls apart at the end. <laughs> and I like what you said that offensively and defensively. And this is kind of the second point, like. Skill position wise, and even you know, even if they throw Brian O'Neill into that mix, sure, like they're 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 like they're twelve to fifteen best players are probably like in the top five or ten of like the whole league. If you just compare like the top half of the roster, would you agree with that? Like they're they have a very top heavy roster. Like if you just said these are their fifteen best players, you're like that's a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean they have at least seven guys. I mean, hang on. I would say six or seven guys who are eligible in any given year to be all pro caliber, right? Kendricks, Smith, Hunter, Jefferson, Thielen, Cook. And, you know, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to throw Brian O'Neill in there or Urban there just yet, but already that is deeper than, you know, a lot of teams in the bottom half of the league. Yeah. So you I shouldn't say deeper, but more talented. They're yeah, not, it, they're not a deep team by any means. 
And, and for that reason, and we'll get to this soon, you know, it feels like we texted about this the other day. I feel like the, the variance on this team and, and why we're going to spend some time talking about optimism and pessimism is I feel like they could win 12 games. They could go 12 and five. And I wouldn't be like, Oh, that was, I never saw that coming. Like, I feel like that's kind of a, you know, a, an, a pretty optimistic end point for this season. But if you look at it and say, yeah, everything, most things went right. The offense was as good as you thought it was going to be. The defense held together and all these veterans kind of came together and, and the kicking game held up well enough. You could see a 12 and five season, but you could also see, five and 12 season or a six and 11 season. Not that you want to start there, but that, that, that wide range, it feels like a wider range than I'm used to with this team, especially with cousins as quarterback. Right. Because last year they went all out. They thought, you know, if they traded for Ngakwe, they thought they were going to be a playoff team and then everyone got hurt and that could easily happen again this year. And if it does happen again, they're just as really ill-equipped for contingency plans as last year's team was in, in a lot of ways. Superficially, they're better. But, you know, if like Patrick Peterson and Bashad Breeland get hurt, they're screwed, right? So you're right. The, the variance is, is, is all over the place. And I, I think about 2017 because that team was probably the healthiest Vikings team of, of my lifetime. And also, I've noticed that any year where they do the thing where they go to the NFC title game and then they lose the NFC title game, they're usually pegged like an eight and eight or nine and 17. They're not like overwhelmingly favored to go to the NFC, to the NFC title game, the years that they've gone. And then they do. So any year where they're not really all that heralded, and I don't think they're particularly heralded this year, uh, then I'm like, okay, there's a chance they could surprise people and do all right. I will say though, that the schedule is murder. It's just a brutal, brutal schedule. And they went seven and nine against a nothing schedule last year. So you have to account for that too. Yeah, some of, some of how you feel about them does depend, does depend on how you feel about their opponents, the rest of their division. I kind of wish they were getting Andy Dalton's Bears, not what's likely to be Justin Fields' Bears, because those are both those games are, I think, towards the end of the season against the, uh, the Bears. Right, Fields, Fields will stab them in the face. Like, Fields yeah. will be good against them. He's going to be good. And, and Aaron Rodgers, we had this fantasy all summer, <laughs> like he was going to get traded or go retire and host Jeopardy, and that never happened. That was Yeah, that was never going to happen. I am... I do still cling to last year's victory in Lambeau. I thought that was very, there was something about that, that victory that was very encouraging to me because they shut out Green Bay and, and for most of the second half till the very end, this, the, uh, the Packers got a garbage time touchdown. And so that was when I was feeling good about guys like Cam Dantzler and things like that. And of course, Dantzler may not even make the final roster this fall. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a real indictment of some of the picks they've had and really the whole defensive plan last year. And maybe that's our, Maybe that's our pivot point to one more thing that could be a positive or could be a negative this year. It feels like this is a team that's going to play with a certain amount of urgency. Like everybody, every, every key stakeholder on this team is either wanting a new contract or coaching for their job or Rick Spielman, certainly, you know, not a sure thing that he'll keep his job. Like it feels like there's a lot of decisions that have been made that basically say this year or, or no more. Right, because every free agent they signed was essentially a one-year deal. There's a few exceptions like Tomlinson, but everybody else is a one-year deal. So everybody on that defense is playing for a fat contract next season. And then you have the Kirk situation where I think everybody knows that the team is essentially done with Kirk, barring him doing something utterly spectacular. And so the pressure is on him. You know, he has to win 13 games if they're going to be at all inclined 
to keep him around, knowing all the baggage that he brings every year. But he also has a $45 million guaranteed contract for 2022, which that brings me to uh, the, the downside here. So you, in, in your piece, in, you know, in your season preview, you write, Kirk is a millstone, a joke, and a self-own all-in-one. The day he leaves this team will be my Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's, that's it's a great line. It's good. It's it's good writing. That the piece was great as always, but how realistic? Like even if he if he has a bad year, like wh- what are you gonna? You, you can't. You, you don't cut forty five million dollars in guaranteed money, do you? Sure. Why not? I mean, I just saw Carson Wentz get traded with the worst contract in football, and so I'm not. I don't really care about the cap. I don't. I don't. I I I I think that I think that it's past the point. Of, no return with Kirk, particularly because he won't get vaccinated. I think it bore out that he is not the, you know, the team player that he's always purported himself and self-brand himself to be. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think his teammates care about him at all. I know, you know, they don't. Like, I know that, I know Jefferson can't stand them. I know Diggs couldn't stand them. I know Everson Griffin has said, said the nice things yesterday. Like, right. oh, I'm going to say sorry for my tweets and all that. Because he had a job, right? He doesn't like Kirk. None of them like Kirk. And you can't have a team despise its quarterback that openly and succeed. It, no matter how good the quarterback is, it's just not, not going to happen. So that's a problem because, as we've seen in two preseason games, and again, it's just preseason, and Kellen Mond missed 10 days of camp because he had COVID. Maybe right. he gets better, but Kellen Mond and Jake Browning are not coming in and saving this season. They both look shaky and maybe maybe they're scouring the waiver wire on cut down days and they're going to add a different backup who knows there's cap considerations for that but this is a tenuous quarterback situation given everything we know at this point yeah browning's a scrub i mean in some ways i mean i don't even think browning will make the final roster i don't think think so either but i think what what could happen is um that they don't sign a veteran backup because I think it's slim pickings. Like, who do you even sign? Right? Like, like Babe Laufenberg? I don't even know who's out there right now. Like, like C.J. Beathard could be available if Jackson. Yeah, all right. So, all right, some scrub like C.J. Beathard. But you're, you're going to win four or five games with C.J. Beathard as your quarterback. But in some ways, fine. Like, then, you, then you, you may as well get to the garbage process part of operations quicker. You know, you may as well get to it this year instead of next year. You know, because, you know, I, I don't – there's no point to me – and, you know, and I say this, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit disingenuous when I say this, but it's not really all that worth it to me to have a nine and eight season this season, just behind, I don't know, an Andy Dalton to be named later because Kirk got hurt and then just middling your way through 2022 to get to the point where we all want to be right now anyway. So I don't, you know, the reason I was excited when Mon was drafted was because it was a clear signal that the Vikings were saying, okay, we understand we cannot be all in on Kirk forever. Uh, you know, it, it not possibly not even in the short term. And it was just, it was that recognition I required as a fan. Let me know that they knew what they were doing, that they saw what we were seeing. Do you think they're actively agitating Kirk cousins now by, you know, obviously David Zimmer has been very frontal and, you know, I, I, I think he's having every right to be frontal about the vaccines, getting these guys vaccinated. They brought Osterholm in, on Monday to practice, to lecture these guys again about get vaccinated, you idiots. Um, and then they sign Everson Griffin, like you referenced, who tweeted about Kirk eight months ago. Um, are they? Is this just Zimmer's like I don't care anymore? Or wh- how do you how do you interpret this? Is this just coincidence, or do you think this is targeted? I mean, I don't think. I mean, Zimmer 
didn't care much for Case Keenum, even while he was taking the NFC championship. That's true. He just kept saying, he kept saying Case was lucky, essentially. Yeah, Zimmer's, so Zimmer's, that's always been Zimmer's MO, right? Um, and so I don't, <laughs> if they as an organization have gone from coddling Kirk to having essentially higher expectations for him and not being terribly patient with him, I think that can only be good because coddling him has only gotten us this far. And we've got one really nice playoff win against New Orleans to show for it. And we got absolutely molly whopped the week later. So I don't, I have no, and you may as well treat them like dirt and give them some motivation, um, even if it's negative reinforcement. I'm fine with that. That said, Zimmer seems tense. I don't know if tense Zimmer is good Zimmer. We've seen that over the years where when he gets a little bit, you know, decisions get made. They cut the kicker after two weeks. They, you know, things, weird things happen when he gets a little tense. Yeah. He's not level-headed enough. Uh, I think, cause he's still in that pars- parcel school of wealth. I'm the more caustic I am, the more effective I'll be. And that just doesn't work in today's NFL anymore, but I don't, um, you know, but you know, in contrast, I've also seen a lot of preseason stuff and it's preseason stuff. So it's all probably a lie where it's like, always, oh, he's, he's a little softer. He listens a bit more. He's changing the scheme. Do I buy any of that? No, but that's also out there where, you know, the the fact alone that he has been the human face of the Vikings, well, they have badly on the pandemic, you know, tells me more about him than in a post-game presser after a preseason game. I thought that Michael Pierce with his calf was going to be the kind of surprise lingering injury and then i thought maybe it was justin jefferson but it seems like he's kind of making his way back surprise i think it's anthony barr um still don't know when he's going to be available there sounds like they're being careful but they were careful with the neil hunter until he was out for the year how worried are you about anthony barr <laughs> not terribly it's derisaw i think derisaw yeah one. well then yeah, not that one too not playing at all i think if Barr got hurt frankly i value kendrick's more than i value Barr. sure so i'm not I'm not that concerned about it, but yeah, I mean, I'll always be, I'll always have PTSD from the way they handled Hunter, handled Hunter a year ago, you know, because they were, you know, they were very vague about it. And then suddenly the bottom fell out from, from underneath them. So, you know, that, that was handled just incredibly, incredibly poorly. And there doesn't seem to be much indication, even though Zimmer said otherwise, there doesn't seem to be much indication to me that they've learned from that debacle much. No, speaking of not learning from debacles, a couple more things. Drew McGarry, kicking game and the offensive line. I mean, these have been like downfalls of this team. These have like ruined or contributed to the ruination of multiple Mike Zimmer seasons. You know, 2016, like that, that was a good team. That team started five and oh, and they just they couldn't protect like Sam Bradford had to throw every pass like 2.2 feet because they could not keep him upright. The Blair right. Walsh couldn't make a field goal. Like every, every year that's been ruined, it feels like, okay, they're going to learn. And yeah, they brought in Dan Bailey. That was supposed to stabilize things that didn't work. They've drafted a bunch of offensive linemen. Yeah, but they're either hurt or they're not any good. Like, does, is that which one of those is going to, is, is most likely to ruin this season? Or do you think we're, it's going to be okay and we should just stop worrying about those things? No, I mean, I think it's, I think the, the pattern is made clear enough now that it's a coaching problem and not, I mean, it, you can you can also attribute it to, uh, you know, player acquisition and development. But Dan Bailey was, you know, one of the best statistical kickers in history before he came here. You know, that that's coaching. So we don't have the same special teams coach that we had a year ago. Uh, and 
our offensive line coaching situation <laughs> is, you know, didn't even get into that hysterical and, you know, presiding over it all is still Zimmer. So, you know, it does not give me a great amount of confidence, even though I think personnel wise, I'm happier with the O-line this year than I was last year, but I'll only have that happiness, you know, sort of, um, consecrated when Dakota Dozier gets cut. It, it almost seems like so many things have happened that we forget. Like we, we overlook some of the key storylines that, Oh yeah, their offensive line coach is brand new now midstream. And Oh yeah. Their offensive coordinator is also very new to calling plays and is brand new to all this, even if it's a similar scheme, it's almost like there so many things have been thrown at a storyline wise already that it's hard to keep them straight. It's like, it's from a political strategist, playbook to uh to just keep us guessing at what what's coming next well you also like the offensive coordinator is a fail son right it's it's gary kubiak's kid and last year zimmer appointed his own kid to be co-defensive coordinator when really andre patterson had more than earned that job and what happens i didn't see adam zimmer get held accountable at all for what happened last year to that defense and i know that mike is the the shadow defensive coordinator of this team, or not even shadow, it's it's open and public to all. But, you know, we're being coordinated by fail sons on both sides of the ball, and that that is not encouraging to me. I don't care for that. Last thing, a lot of old familiar guys on the team. I think Everson Griffin makes four ex-Vikings, now current Vikings on the defense, him, Mackenzie Alexander, Weatherly, and Sheldon Richardson. Yeah. Um, Get the band back together. It's just Zimmer just loves himself. Some guys that he knows what they do, has seen them do it. I don't care if it was six or seven years ago. It's just it's just kind of amusing to me. Like we we've seen Zimmer now for eight years, and it's it's such a clear playbook on his end. He wants to win every game, two to nothing, and he doesn't care who his doesn't want the expensive quarterback. He just wants his guys. And he wants to win his way. He'd love to hold the ball for 35 minutes and have the defense get all the glory. And that's that's kind of what this year is going to boil down to, I think, unless the offense can block anybody. I mean, it's it's why they it's why they brought Griffin back because, again, just like Parcells, Zimmer has guys, you yeah. know. So it's like it, there is a there's a small negligence or a small obliviousness toward talent, so long as you're someone that Zimmer knows. Uh, he likes and knows how to work with and feels comfortable with. And that can come at the expense of, of, of roster depth and talent. And that's not good. Well, we'll see how it goes. The all important third preseason game coming up. Then the real thing uh, a little over two weeks from now in Cincinnati, nine road games, just eight, eight home games, nine road games, another little uh, piece of the puzzle this year as well. Drew, anything uh, coming up that you want to plug? And the lights went out. My book comes out October 5th. Buy it. You should do that. I'm going to do that as well. Drew, we'll talk again soon. Be well, man. Thanks, Rand. See you. Always love catching up with Drew, even if it means a longer edit to clean up some of uh, some of his uh, stream of consciousness swearing. Um, uh, <laughs> it sounds even funnier when you're just listening to him straight through, but the, uh, the edit with Drew can be tricky. And one thing I will add to... The Anthony Barr thing that he and I talked about seems like it's getting a little bit dicier. Um, Adam Zimmer saying not sure if Barr is going to be ready for the opener. Um, you know, still this undisclosed injury. So again, we'll be tracking that. You know, an undisclosed injury for the Vikings 
to a key defensive player just sets off all sorts of alarm bells. So we'll see where that takes us for the rest of this preseason and into that September 12th opener at Cincinnati. Nerland's Noel, let's end with the cooler, suing his former agent, Rich Paul, because he says uh, he, he basically advi- gave him bad advice, that he had a four-year, $70 million contract offer on the table in 2017, and that Paul advised him not to take it, saying he could get a better deal a year later. Um, Noel ends up breaking his thumb that year, ends up signing a, a bunch of smaller contracts. Now, he did get a good deal this offseason, I think $27.7 million guaranteed. Um, so it's not like uh, we're not going to be crying for Nerland's Noel for his future, but just interesting, basically saying he advised Noel basically to bet on himself, saying he could have a better chance of getting a contract in free agency, unrestricted free agency, the next year. Um, but, you know, 2017, a lot of money was flying around fast and furious at that point because of ballooning, salary caps, things like that. So I just I just think it's interesting that he's suing him to try to get the money back, even though he ultimately was the one who, even though even though Rich Paul gave him the advice, Nerland Noel is the one who took the advice, is he not? So... Kind of a frivolous lawsuit, I think. Um, sue everybody. The, per- the people that you handle and represent uh, probably will be suing them too. Um, so, yeah, Nerland Nir- as well suing his former agent, Rich Paul. Just found that to be amusing, maybe a little bit sad. Kind of goes to show the relationships that happen and what happens kind of behind the scenes. That'll do it today. Thanks for joining me on Daily Delivery. I think I'm going to have... Ethan Finley from Minnesota United on the show uh, Thursday should be a good one there. Friday, probably talking to Chris Hine for uh, some insights on new Timberwolves owner Mark Laurie. Thanks for joining me today. Download this podcast always. Subscribe to Star Tribune, startribune.com, and we'll catch you again on Thursday.